0: Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates, and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports, with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above, as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skuzgaspo. Uh, how's your bye week been, guys? Um, not like there's anything going on in the round the world of sports. Um, been a, a nice quiet weekend, yeah? No? <laughs> yeah, Lord have mercy. I, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. The, the amount of yeah, the amount of craziness. But uh, I guess I guess if we look just through a northwestern lens, and purely a northwestern lens, we were all able to catch our breath in in that regard. I guess <laughs> so. And, and yeah, wa- I
2: mean, and, and watch a bunch of uh, and you guys yeah. ball out uh, yesterday yeah, true. afternoon. Oh yeah, true, absolutely. And you know, craziness
0: of a of a weekend of college football on Saturday. I mean just upsets left and right and some really great games. Um, You know, we'll, we'll kind of talk about the weekend uh, a little bit later on in the show. Uh, But yeah, like, like I say, just kind of a lot of craziness going on. Um, You know, baseball's opening weekend, the White Sox got rained out today. um, You know, but uh, last last night, I, I don't know if you guys saw any of the, the visuals, but like Whatever they're calling US cellular field, Kamiski Park, guaranteed rate field, whatever it is, that place was alive last night, and that was really, really cool. Um unfortunately it rained out today. Um, I, other other weirdness s- happening uh, today, but yeah.
2: Insert Bino Cook rolling in my grave baseball joke. I just I couldn't be less um, dialed into
1: that. Fair, fair. Yeah, there's been there's been all kinds of craziness, and of course we know that you know, you're all listening. Time stamping this, like major events are happening literally by the second, mainly involving John Gruden right now, etc. Um, like, we're aware of this. It's all big news, it's all happening in real time right now. Um, you're going to have a million other news sources to talk to you about that content. We've kind of got some really big Northwestern news on our plate, so I think that's kind of going to be where we're going to be focusing.
0: Yeah, if, if you're coming to us for our takes on John Gruden, I think you're coming to the wrong pot, the wrong spot. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. we 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 got other stuff to deal with, and maybe we can direct you to some other NFL-related podcasts. But anyway, um, big oh, Northwestern just, just, news.
2: Just follow Kalen and Kaler. Like done. Yes. Right.
0: Do that, and and Ella Brockway. And yeah, both of them are doing great work on uh, on this story and and the rest of the NFL. Just those two. Follow them. You're, you're all set. A uh, big news uh, from Northwestern. Um, the search for Morty Shapiro's replacement is complete. Uh, Rebecca Blank, the uh, uh, what is she? The chancellor of uh, Wisconsin, uh, UW Madison, is going to be taking over as president of Northwestern uh, in summer 2022. Um, you know, she had been at Northwestern uh from 89 to 99 as a member of the econ faculty um you know she's been at wisconsin for a while uh she's very very highly thought of um can't say i know a ton about her at this point i mean this was just announced today but um i I think the fact that she is the first female president of northwestern is fantastic
2: Unfortunately, I missed her tenure as an economics professor. I, I shifted my major. I, I think the year after she departed Northwestern, but um, but yeah, this is big. This is a big deal, and I think like just as a way of a callback, um, if y'all remember, we spoke to uh, Leah as- Asimakopoulos and Ella Brockway last spring in the wake of some of the um, athletic director stuff, and there was a real frustration um, from women. At Northwestern faculty students etc who felt like they had been ignored and um, uh, like this this is a that's not why they made this hire but at the time we talked about what representation means uh, for whether it's women or minorities etc like it's a big big deal and To me, that's one of the things that's great about this is um, the Northwestern community, the the women in our community have uh, someone at the top that they can look up to and aspire to. And that's, um, that's what representation and leadership is all about.
1: Yeah, we talked about, you know, we tweeted it out today that, you know, Northwestern's existed for 170 years. And for those entire 170 years, university president's always been a white man. And the athletic director has always been a white man. And it's. It's not about finding fault with that, or about finding fault with any particular individual, or anything. Northwestern's got, you know, a long and distinguished history of great university presidents and great athletic directors, and that's fantastic. And now is a chance um, to to gain representation, and we've seen that in the past year that now we have an African American athletic director, and now we have a, a female president, and um, president, I guess, president elect or future president blank. She. Fully acknowledged that in her own message saying, you know, I'm leaving Wisconsin to become the first female president in Northwestern University history. And that's fantastic. It's just, it's great to, to acknowledge the moment and yet, yeah, and to, to have that representation. And it's one of those things where it's, it is at once fine to to totally honor and and respect and give praise to all the great presidents and all the great athletic directors who've who've led up to this point and at the same time celebrate this representation that we have now it's it's just a great thing it's just a, a cause for celebration and uh it's it's just it's fantastic
0: yeah um obviously a lot more to uh to find out about uh president blank um you know she's coming in with a lot of ties to Northwestern. Like I said, she had been a member of the economics faculty here. Uh, her daughter graduated from Northwestern. Um, so she does have ties, uh, to the program, to the university. So, um, we will find out more about her as we move forward. Uh, she's not going to be taking office until next summer, uh, the summer of 2022. Um, so a, a lot still yet to come on that front, but, uh, the fact that we know where we're going after uh president shapiro uh moves on i, I think
2: is really really positive shifting gears um let's can, can I talk just, can i just double down yeah. on that really really positive and just like i made a callback to what what was that like roughly a year and a half ago or i made was that only six months ago my god yeah um, it was yeah, it was only six months ago. Like what a better place Northwestern finds itself in from a leadership and future perspective now than six months ago. My God. Yeah,
1: just to have just to have this go smoothly in and of itself. Especially, you know, in our little bubble as specifically Northwestern football fans and everything, just to have this this thing this hiring come out and have it be a smooth part of the process and just it's it's yes, it's one less thing for us to have to, to dwell on as we move through the season we have other things to dwell on. Um, and
0: that, you know, as we start to look at this weekend's, a homecoming game against Rutgers. Um, I, I think the biggest thing that I've been dwelling on this entire weekend is, uh, how do we plug up the sieve that has been our defense? Um, you know, Rutgers may be the cure for what ails you as far as a defensive goes. I mean, they're not particularly offensively impressive, if you will, but, uh, You know, we – there's still just a horrible taste in our mouths uh, coming off of the Nebraska game uh, two weeks ago. Um, You know, in Fitz's press conference today, there wasn't really a whole lot to say, oh, we've made a whole bunch of changes and everything is different. I mean, the the depth chart came out exactly the same as it was against Nebraska. Um, I think for everyone holding their breath that we're going to see something completely different on the defensive side. Um, you may want to stop holding your breath because yeah. it's just not going to happen.
2: Yeah, prepare yourself now, folks. I mean, we we are most likely going to see very much the same thing um, that we've seen for for the first five weeks of the season, and I think we, I
0: hope we're wrong, but we're yeah, not.
2: I mean, like I like I don't like this is resignation in my voice, I guess from from the sense of just like that's what we're gonna see, and I hope that the errors that have plagued us especially on the offensive side um are reduced you know that there's better execution i hope that we don't we stop making the same mistakes in the secondary giving up big plays um i you know I, I can't help thinking going back to the, to the Nebraska game and something that just kind of started to, to bump around my head and we heard it from some folks as well like, man, what if Brandon Joseph had been the deep cover safety on that first play against Nebraska? Cause I think he's taken that ball at least 25 yards in the other direction. Um, and so like, you know, if there's one, maybe change, you might, you might see more coverage from, from, uh, Brandon Joseph, as opposed to to him being stacked closer to the line. I think, you know, based on the sample size we have to date, um, he's better in that coverage role. Uh, but I, it's going to be small stuff like that. Like it's, there's not going to be some wholesale change and, um, I think the the struggles that we talked about last week with the linebacker core, like that's 100 percent what Rutgers is going to attack. I think the upshot for this week, at least, is that um, Rutgers is probably going to be less adept than the likes of Michigan State, Duke and Nebraska at attacking those linebackers.
1: Right. And I think there's there's I guess we're, we're all in a very the, the height of like cold blooded realism right now, I'd say is, is kind of where we are. And <laughs> well, well and, and, and right. And, and, you know, a big part of that, we, we're not going to go into it t- t- too much. I guess just that, you know, we, we really got so granular last week and talking about personnel and all the problems we were perceiving. And, and there's definitely a per- portion of our listener base that believes that we're being too soft on Jim O'Neill. And again, to the extent that any of these problems are Jim O'Neill's problems, and a lot of them certainly are, I mean, I, there's it, just optically, there's not a, a hire that's looking worse right now than that higher. And again, and a lot of these problems, you know, are looking really bad. Of course, there's been so much talk by us, by everyone else about bringing in someone, you know, just, just real quick. One of the things that we were looking at was kind of going back and looking with O'Neill relative to, well, the way everything went south with Cleveland how did he end up at the 49ers? And you find quotes from from Chip Kelly, and it becomes very clear. Before Chip Kelly even announced the names he was pursuing as his defensive coordinator, we have quotes from, from, from Chip Kelly being like, I'm a 3-4 guy. I want a coach who's going to run the 3-4. I want to get aggressive and go after the quarterback. And that's exactly what he did. He went to Mike Mike Vrabel, who was the linebacker's coach with the Texans, who ran a 3-4 and offered him the job. And Vrabel didn't take it. And then Jim O'Neill was available. So then Chip Kelly grabbed Jim O'Neill. Just to reiterate, it was all about the 3-4. If if Jim O'Neill hadn't run the 3-4, he doesn't get hired with the 49ers. So it's like, again we are aware and have talked about the fact that this whole idea of bringing in this person who specialized in this thing to coach something different and heaping that on the top of all the other problems we're seeing etc okay like we're not going to go deep down this road we talked about it a lot of it last week just but well, it's, like, it's it's important to
2: note too like at this at this point like you know, you would expect that anything that hadn't been installed or, or, or things that the team were still struggling with conceptually from the new defense that, that O'Neill runs, that they were really going to focus on that over the last two weeks with the bye. But there's no large scale change. Like you don't you don't switch from a four three to a three four over your bye week. So like I like John's is... point is really about underscoring like the weirdness of this hire more than anything else. And, right. and to date the like We've
1: mostly put that on Fitz to say like
2: this doesn't make sense, right? And that's
1: that's the thing, right? Is it's it's difficult for us to talk about Anil without talking about Fitz. Now that we know officially that we're not going to be seeing this three four, and we're trying to piece this together, it's funny because you specifically mentioned install, and or talking about you know an install, and there was an episode of the Foundation earlier this season where you see Jim O'Neill and he's saying something like the install is going well, and I bring that up because to Scuzz's point. You know, from a pure package standpoint, we're just seeing four three and four two five, and it's pretty much what we saw last year. But you hear all this talk, and again, this is this is the stuff where you're getting into the weeds, and you're like, all right, how much of this is speculation? How much do we actually know that? You know, you go back to Cleveland, and you have like Jim O'Neill's linebackers talking about, you know, there this this system puts us in places where we're having to read the linemen in a certain way that makes it harder for us to do our job, and then you're saying, all right, so. Is, is that same kind of system part of the install here? Are we seeing the same kind of problems? And again, that's all speculation because like the, the scheme we're seeing looks light years different from what Jim O'Neill ran in Cleveland. It looks like what we ran last year. So again, but these are all problems. And this is just to say, yes, a ton of this does land at the feet of Jim O'Neill, a ton. And this hire is looking really bad right now. The reason I said cold-eyed realism though is – that's all true. What we need to be thinking right now is, like Scuzz said, this ain't gonna change. Like it's just not. Like,
2: and,
0: f- like, and Fitz ain't making hy- moves, hypothet- folks. Hypothetically, and hypothetically, we did fire Jim O'Neill, uh during the bye week. Who steps
1: up? What changes? Right. I mean, I mean that's and that's and that's the thing. And I, I don't know there's there is a large portion of our listener base. we're just going to come back to you and be like, let's find out.
2: (laughs) But, but, but it, but that's not how like folks, that's not how real talk. Like it took, how many years did it take before Fitz moved on from McCall?
1: Exactly. And the, at least five years, too many. And right. Exactly. So that's part of the realism. The other thing though, that I'm saying, well, like
0: what, once once will we make changes at the end of the year? That's absolutely on the table
1: Post-
2: extremely
0: unlikely just right. unlikely extremely unlikely right,
1: like right. let's let's see how the
0: rest of the season pans out.
1: I think the the reason again and that's the thing and it's like realism uh, the reason I'm not saying nihilism or pessimism <laughs> or whatever is because r- real talk the northwestern team we've seen so far can beat Rutgers, Minnesota, Purdue, and Illinois. It just you can. believe
2: in nothing, Lebowski. Nothing.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't help it's, myself. It's yeah. Right. Well, to, to not go down the yeah fleas roll in the big Lebowski, but the those four teams just are beatable by us by this team playing with this mess of a defense right now, and possibly at the head of that entire list, jostling with Illinois, is Rutgers, and that's the thing that I think a lot of people need to realize is is from a perspective of just wins and losses this season divorce yourself from the mess that is our defense right now and just understand this northwestern team as it's constituted right now with this ball and chain around its ankle that is the current performance of this defense can definitely beat rutgers and that's something that i think we're gonna we're gonna want to get into here and i know people are looking at the line and looking at like the, the line was at push and now it's moved I think to Rutgers minus two, but we are looking deep into, you know, into the heart and soul of this Rutgers football team. And I mean, again, it's, it just, it is what it is. This looks like a team Northwestern can really beat. And that's, that's just kind of what it is.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, you know, so like they beat temple. I mean, they crushed temple. They beat Syracuse by 10. They crushed Delaware. They lost to Michigan by seven. That loss is looking better for them um, before getting hammered by Ohio State and Michigan State. But, uh, yeah, I mean, how how do we attack this team? Like, what do we need to do offensively to to move the ball, to kind of – a lot of our issues have been self-inflicted. Like, there's no doubt about that. But so- – so, i would but, love
2: to see what our offense can do if they don't self-inflict wounds yeah right like absolutely because because looked good um that first game against against michigan state hunter and the receivers looked good you you had the connection uh with uh with helinsky to robinson really start to to flourish um in the uh the nebraska game like i like there's there's stuff there what you know we we've seen Hull do good work. We've seen Claire running through contact. We've seen Tyus in that Wildcat set. Like the the O-line is gonna be healthier than they've been in four weeks, um, which has which has definitely been a problem for us. And we've seen the pass pro improve. Like, I don't I mean, I can't speak to the specifics of the of the of the Rutgers defense necessarily, but it seems like teams have had some success running the ball on them, and I just I just would love to see what a Northwestern offense that doesn't kill itself with penalties or weird fumbles at bad times and bad exchanges um,
1: can do. Cause I like, I, I think we can put up some points. So absolutely. And I think the, you know, when we get to Rutgers offense, Scuzz can drill down on kind of the specific personnel and what they're, they're looking for looking at here. But we were kind of looking at Rutgers in a general sense and everything Sam was saying about and, and what's and Scuzz was just saying about okay, what do we have to do to move the ball on this team. Rutgers is a, a fascinating team to examine relative to Northwestern this season. And I think a lot of you are probably just thinking, Rutgers is, looks pretty bad, Northwestern looks pretty bad. That's why this is a push and, and here we are. What's really weird is I I guess I would say it this way. Rutgers looks like a very untalented football team. The reason I don't say they look like a very bad football team is they're good in a ton of the ways we wish Northwestern was good. What I mean is Rutgers has played six games. They have been the less penalized team in five of those six games, usually by a lot. And the only time they were the more penalized team was against Michigan. And it was only by one penalty. They're plus eight in turnovers right now. Um, and the and a lot of that is baked into that they they forced five temple turnovers and three Syracuse turnovers and didn't turn it over in either of those games. I think they turned it over three times against Ohio State. Um, but overall this is a team that does not commit penalties. they don't turn it over a lot and they force some turnovers. They play clean, Football. They're just not a particularly good football team. So, juxtapose that with Northwestern, particularly our offense, which we're talking about right now. It's like Sam was saying, it's like our offense's problem is it can't get out of its own way. We have had how many drives stall or lead to turnovers inside the opponent's 25 or even the opponent's 10 yard line? That's not Rutgers at all. They just have a whole wing of teams on their schedule they just can't move the ball against at all. And then they just don't score points against those teams. Northwestern so many times were like, even in the Nebraska game, right? Lost in the entire mess that was the first half of that game was the fact that almost every Northwestern drive that didn't result in points, that one touchdown drive, was short-circuited, right? By a tripping penalty, a offsides call, a turnover. It was all self-inflicted wounds in the first half. Rutgers doesn't do that. They just don't have a lot of talent. Defense is is a perfect example. They have Kanye Fodokasi, who is a good linebacker, who just doesn't have much around him. And they and you see that. I mean, like Michigan State tore this team apart. 31 points doesn't accurately capture the performance that they put on. I think when
2: I I'm looking at that Michigan State game right now too, because I think what's instructive here is Michigan State score like their four touchdown drives. 63-yard pass to Jalen Naylor, two plays, 75-yard drive, 63-yard pass to Jalen Naylor, five plays, 87-yard drive, 65-yard pass to Jalen Naylor, one play, 65 yards, and then a 94-yard touchdown run by Kenneth Walker. So, like, explosion plays are the, are like, from, from, like, when we played Michigan State, we had, I would, what I would argue is a relatively similar experience. That was more running than passing, but, like, there are there are deficiencies on this defense you can take advantage of for four big plays and then, you know, Michigan State put up, you know, a total of, of almost six hundred yards and like the, like that just kind of underscores what you're talking about, John, because we don't we don't need to put together a twenty play drive to beat this Rutgers team. We should be like we should match up well enough with them athletically to take some shots and uh, hopefully hit on some big plays.
0: Exactly, and I think that's one of the things. I, I, I just I, I have visions
1: of Stephon Robinson going over the top. Exactly, I think that's one of the the wild things about this season, and one of the things people you know maybe are getting less is like explosion plays haven't really been a problem for Northwestern this season. Um, we've got a running back with a penchant for breaking long runs and a couple of wideouts who can go over the top. It's that just we, to we clarify, sh- you mean on offense? On, on offense? offense. <laughs> on offense? Right? Well, it's funny you say that. I was thinking about that too. I was like, yeah. Um, It's like on offense, our problem was, you know, has been breakdowns in pass protection, penalties, and turnovers. And the breakdowns in pass protection through the center of the defense were the one thing against Nebraska that improved in, you know, in the monsoon that was every other thing that went wrong in that game. But we right now are a team that, that, Let's say you remove offensive mistakes from the equation. Then that leaves Northwestern as a team that is capable of explosive plays and incredibly capable of giving up explosive plays. Well, Rutgers is very capable of giving up explosive plays, and they haven't really demonstrated that they're capable of explosive plays. Um, And that's kind of the thing. And I know, you know, Scuzz will kind of go through some of the personnel, but it's just, it's, this is that realism part. Realism as opposed to nihilism. It was so easy for all of us to map out the exact way Nebraska was going to take us apart. You just can't really do that for Rutgers. Like, they don't. They're just not that kind of offense. Like, there's a reason they're averaging 14 points a game against the four power five teams that they've played. It's It's not bad luck. It's not an accident. Again, this team plays clean football, and they don't turn it over. They just don't have the explosiveness. It's just not there for this team.
2: Well, it's interesting because two years ago, Rutgers could barely score. And then last year, um, Shiano brought in, uh, he hired away the offensive coordinator from, I think Oklahoma state. And they averaged like 20 plus. Um, I think with the exception of, of a couple of really tough opponents, they scored, you know, well over 20 points in almost every game. And it was, it was this offensive explosion that nobody was expecting myself included coming into this year you know they, they're bringing back basically their entire offense they added some transfers in a couple places and my thought was like they're gonna be really solid again but the thing that they lack is they, they don't have a way to stretch the field none of their receivers have uh have a lot of top end speed As, i I say at Pacheco their their big running back is exactly that he's a big running back um he he can you know knock people over but uh, he's not going on long rumps uh long long romps down the down the field so like it, it's pretty clear that that deep threat still has not emerged um
1: i can i just uh, insert insert here real quick sure before you talk about the defense just so everyone knows rutgers long run as a team this year keep in mind they've played six games is 33 yards that is the longest run any Rutgers player has made this season, and Pacheco's long is twenty-six yards. They, they just no explosiveness on the ground, none.
2: Yeah, and he, I mean, he's averaging like a half carry less than he did last year, um, which is interesting. I, I don't, I don't quite understand that. Noah Vidal, um, who who does run a fair amount as a quarterback, he's got fifty-four attempts to Pacheco's eighty-three. Uh, he is like this is not a QB that you're designing a lot of runs with. Like he can, he has some escapability and, um, and that is a potential concern for Northwestern and, um but our, like, our front I mean, he, he's not Adrian Martinez. No, though, no, no, right? no. I'm not saying that like, he's like, he's not going to go on designed runs. He's, but, but he's, you know, on a third and five, if, uh if you're not careful, can he pick up the first down? If, if, you know, they do things right with their, with their receivers and, and the routes that they run. Absolutely. So we're we going to have to keep an eye on him, but again, it's, you know, this is not an explosive running QB. Um, on the passing side, he's been, he's been more efficient this year. He's, he's close to 64% completion. Um, his, his TD to pick rate has improved. His yards per attempt are still very low. Um, but they're better than last year A- and yet like they have no receivers that can stretch the field. So Bo Melton was their leading receiver last year. He's, he's got the most number of catches this year, but, um, just not a lot of yardage. Uh, Aaron Cruikshank, who was at Wisconsin, is having a better year this year. But again, like, these are pretty pedestrian numbers. They're averaging 10, 12 yards per catch. Like, not a lot here to be super concerned with. Um, and so, again, like, I I think this game's going to come down to execution. Like, if Northwestern kicks themselves in the teeth over and over again, like, they're probably going to lose. But if we execute well, we we are – athletically better than this team on both sides and should be able to match up well, like regardless of some of the scheme issues that that, uh, that we've had during the first
1: five weeks. Exactly. And you mentioned Vadraw. And it's funny because this has been like a, a drumbeat that we've had going for a couple weeks now. It's like, I'm sure you're going to see a lot of him running because of this whole other teams look at Northwestern and see what we've been doing and are like, oh, we can attack that. They're gonna try. They're gonna try to run because they're like, look at what a quarterback can do. You know, when he runs against this defense, look at the way they break down and contain and option discipline and all the things Fitz even talked about on his press conference this week. Um, right? These are all the things we're all aware of. Rutgers is gonna attack these things. Like they're not stupid. They're gonna go after these things. It's just unclear that they've got the personnel that's that's really gonna gonna make the difference. Um, I think you know when they're talking about their formula though. And what Scuzz was just saying about, you know, the kind of game Rutgers is going to try to play and the kind of game we need to play, I think you it's instructive, right, to look at what is easily Rutgers' best game on paper of the season. And that's not one of their wins. It's losing 2013 to Michigan. And you can look at that game and pretty clearly see what the Rutgers formula is. Michigan was obviously looking ahead to Wisconsin they obviously had a garbage game plan and they played like crap and well they played
2: they played great for a quarter and then they basically like and they turned off
1: the playbook right and they got up 20 to 3 and then just right and then just turned it off they were looking ahead um to which and again not to put the cart way before the horse but it's like Michigan's playing us the week before they're at Michigan State, but they're, you know, but Michigan played like garbage in this game. And we bring that up only because somehow Pacheco had by far his best game of the season in this game. He ran for 20 carries for 107 yards against Michigan. Keep in mind, that same Michigan defense obliterated Wisconsin on the ground a week later, just destroyed them. And I know Wisconsin is just in their total nadir right now, but. Um, it, it's just, if you ask like what Rutgers and the thing is, Rutgers technically lost the turnover battle in that game, but only by one Michigan, uh, Rutgers turned it over once and Michigan didn't turn it over at all. And I think, so it's like, that's going to be their formula. Rutgers is going to try to play clean penalty free football, see if they can force the exact kind of turnover. We've had a penchant for giving up, um, and win a close, low, low scoring game. That's exactly what they're going to be trying to do. And I think, you know, moving the ball, they're going to be like, all right, we're going to try to see if they play zone. And if they do, we'll try to attack the holes in the zone. But you're going to see a lot of Isaiah Pacheco and a lot of Noah withdrawal and a lot of runs to the perimeter. They don't have a heck of a lot of talent, but that's what they're going to try to do. I mean, that's that's their formula. So, again. I, I,
2: I'll say one, the one thing that does worry me a little bit, and, and if you read um... – Jared Thomas's take on uh, the Nebraska game for Wildcat Report. You got a little flavor of this, but I've been talking about it for a couple of weeks now, and that's just the lack of physicality and kind of fight from Northwestern. Like you, like you're just not seeing Northwestern come out and hit other teams, um, either proverbially or literally, uh, like they did in 2020. And Greg Schiano coaches. Rutgers to be a physical team, and they are going to try to be physical with Northwestern. And it's it, honestly, it's one of the things that people have said about Northwestern over the past four years, five years, that Northwestern's more physical than you expect them to be. And I don't think we've seen that this year. Yeah, that could allow Rutgers to make up for some of the athletic gap that John and I have been talking about, and that would be problematic.
1: Right, and that's the thing. I mean, like again, we're realistically telling you, Northwestern's clearly a better football team. Like, they just are. I mean, it's like, unless... And, and if you're coming back with, yeah, not if they turn the ball over time, time Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, that's don't. that's that's, that's, <laughs> right. that's the whole thing. But in terms of, like, the quality of the players, it's clearly Northwestern. I mean, like, like, Rutgers beat a really bad Syracuse team by 10 only because... And, like, understand, Rutgers didn't turn it over at all in that game. They forced... I mean, they forced three turnovers... They only committed four penalties to Syracuse's eight penalties, and that was enough for them to win 17-7. to This is the way Rutgers operates. All of that clean play and positive turnover differential was enough to get them a 10-point win over a really bad Syracuse football team. But, I mean, again, it's like a lot of you are probably being like, and they're going to do the same thing to us. Well, let's hope not. Let's hope we play clean football. If we just play literally, if we just don't lose the turnover battle in this game, that by itself ought to be enough. Um, but again, it's like we're saying this, and our offense has not had a good history of that and has been a mess with that all season long. But it's like I'm, we've been I'm, talking, I'm and talking, s- talking. Yeah,
2: I'm gonna say I'm not quite as confident. I think, I think we need a little bit more than the turnovers. Um, the, the penalty like I, the pe- penalties I think are oh are the turnovers big, and what? the pe- I mean, I just just we need to not just, play
1: it like a mess exactly yeah if,
2: if if we win turnovers and penalties and we match them from a, like a physicality standpoint um I feel really good about our chances
0: right and and penalties has really been a bugaboo this season and you know Northwestern just doesn't you know traditionally. Does not get penalized all that often, but yeah, been, un- it's uncharacteristic. It's it's very odd just how many penalties we've had this season. Um, you know, forty-four yards of penalties per game uh, we've been seeing, which is a lot. Twenty-six penalties on this on the season, you know, in over five games.
2: And and a lot of it, honestly, like offensive line and offensive linemen that have played. Like it's yeah. not it like. I know people want to chalk it up to inexperience and certainly, you know, losing a couple of guys on that O-line, the changeover at QB, like, those, those things matter. Um, I think, you know, this, this goes back to something else we've been talking about for a couple weeks, like and something Jerry Thomas harped on as well. And, and like, a, a, a former player, I think, is always going to harp on this particular aspect. But, like, we've heard this in the past from Dan Persa and others. Like, who are the leaders that are going to step up on the team within the locker room? And hold their teammates accountable, and be that voice um, to to push guys right. Like that's that's a huge question. If if that's emerged for Northwestern in in a in a constructive way over the last two weeks, like that's huge. And like because that I think is gonna have a bigger impact on penalties than any screaming or yelling that the coaches are gonna do, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny too because. I think about the line of this game, right? And, the, and how, how extreme the Nebraska line was and, and how we were all kind of girding ourselves for that. And then it all went so horribly wrong. And, and Rutgers is minus two right now. And I think we were all hoping against hope the Nebraska game wouldn't work while at the same time, you know, mapping out ways it could really go wrong. Well, Rutgers is a two-point favorite in this game right now. And if you ask me what the most likely scenario is, I think the most likely scenario is an ugly yet clear Northwestern win where Pat Fitzgerald is talking afterwards about how the defense that everyone's been doubting and talking bad about looked great, and and <laughs> I I feel like just that
2: re- just recycle those old Mick McCall uh, talking right. points exactly. Yeah. Like, yeah. I feel like
1: I feel like that's the most likely scenario, and that that there's no guarantee that any of that would necessarily have bearing on Michigan or Iowa's ability to just take us apart on defense, which just remains the reality we're staring in the face right now. But Rutgers is not that team and you know what neither's Minnesota neither's Illinois maybe neither's Wisconsin the way things are going right now and it's like those are the things to keep in mind right it's like what we'd really like to see is our defense just improve a little bit and then our offense really take big strides in terms of the clean play that we're talking about and everything and and you know you hope that that's enough to carry us through a lot of these games that that look winnable the kind of thing that you know somehow could 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 salvage this season to us to the place where we do you know if we have any chance of getting to a place where we've got you know six wins at the end of the year we're looking at a bowl or something like that that's going to be the path so you know i think the the biggest thing personally that i'm looking at in this game is is offense you know let's see there you know let's see you get out of your own way um play explosive football against a defense that is easily capable of you giving that up um and let's see the offense come out and just really win the day in this one, and and then you know we can feel better about that going forward into the rest of the season. So it's homecoming
0: uh, this weekend, eleven o'clock kickoff, um, which means as a bunch of you guys are maybe coming in from out of town, if you are, we're we've been set up in the east lot uh, right by Wildcat Alley at the very north end of the east lot, close to the stadium. Come by, say hi. Um, both John and I are going to be there um, for a, not sure exactly how much of the tailgate, but as, as much as e- either of us can, uh, with family obligations and whatnot. But come by and say hi, because we, you know, we love chatting with you guys. Um, yeah, you know, and we'd love to share a beer with any or all of you who are able to come by and say hi. So, east uh- parking lot, north end of the of the lot.
1: Yeah, right by Wildcat Alley, and in all in all honesty, all the conversations we've already been able to have with you guys at the home game so far have been really one of the things that have kept us going. <laughs> through, yeah, it's true through, through this season. Um, it, just a lot of great conversations and getting to meet a lot of great Northwestern fans and finding out how many of you have been listening to the pod has been a real boost for us. And honestly, that has been something that's really fueled us through what have been a rough series of pods to have to do. Um, and you know, having those kind of positive interactions and, and, um, you know, hearing from some, some of you face to face that, you know, that you're getting something out of it has meant a lot to us. So, so yeah, please come out. And, uh, and, uh, if you're in town for homecoming, yeah, come say hi.
2: And if you're not in town for homecoming and, uh, you want to shout at your boy, scuzz will be at home on his couch, um, <laughs> probably being assaulted by his children as, uh, as my Saturdays usually go. So, um. Yeah, I'll 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 be I'll be uh, trying People to pay attention hold, on holding
0: down the Twitter feed though, right?
2: Yeah, I'll, I'll try to be paying attention on Twitter and all that other good stuff. So,
0: so let's kind of go around um, this this past week in in the Big Ten in college football as a whole. Like I mentioned off the top, just some really really amazing games, bonkers. Uh, yeah, and starting off with the the Penn State Iowa game. Um, A game that Iowa did what Iowa does. They took the ball away. Uh, Sean Clifford got hurt. And at at that point, Penn State's offense just went nowhere from there on out. Iowa's offense is not good, guys. They're not. But when you give them such short fields, when you're giving them the ball inside the red zone, they have enough to punch it in and, and score touchdowns. That's how they've been winning. You can't turn the ball over to Iowa that's why they're the number two team in the country. We
1: should, you know, give some credit where credit's due to the Iowa offense. I mean, it's not great, but they, they get it done. They can go heavy and they can hit you with Goodson. You know, he had 88 yards against a really good Penn state defense and Petrus was good enough, right? We've talked about this defense, but at the same time, you look at the way this defense can line up and hit you heavy and the way Goodson can run and you can see how they would do it to us. Right. And, Real talk, right? This is your, what, number two team in the country right now? Iowa. Yep. And that is deserved. They're, they're a great team. They look like a playoff team right now. Everything is clicking for them. I mean, what can you say about a team that's just doing everything right right now? And, again, like, the limitations of their offense are the limitations of their offense. But that's a team playing absolutely phenomenally right now. And um, they they ground out a deserved win over what's probably a really good Penn state team that again, this may not be the last time these two teams play each other this year. So yeah, it was an awesome game and those two teams are both really good.
2: Well, and unlike, um, in some of their prior weeks, like they, like, yes, they got four turnovers, uh, this game and, and yes, their first three points came on just a inconceivable interception that, um, Clifford through, you know, from his own end zone, basically. um, but they only scored three points off turnovers, and this game this game really did feel like um, just one of those classic college football games where a team gets up and then can't seem to do anything, and the other team just just is slowly grinding back, like grinding them out. And 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 without Clifford on the field, like Penn State could do nothing with their backup QB. He was um, very uncomfortable throwing the ball. Through two more interceptions, uh, Penn State's defense was good enough to to really. Keep Iowa in check. I mean, if this was, you know, if it, four interceptions against a, a Purdue or a Northwestern or a Minnesota, and this is a dramatically different score line, but I think it's worth calling out that um, th- this was a little bit of a different formula from Iowa, and they did look they did look pretty darn good um, across the board.
1: And and the last thing on this game is regardless of the outcome of this game, if Clifford is still out, that's seismic for this because that immediately. I, I think, I, mean, I, think Penn, I think Penn State
0: wins if Clifford doesn't get hurt. Well, I, well, I totally agree. They're up seventeen three. Oh,
1: well, there's that too. But I'm like, if he's out for extended time, like nothing Ohio State can do on the field is as valuable as knowing that he's not going to be in that game. Um, I'm just like, that's that's the piece that Ohio State's missing because I think right now. If with Clifford in Penn State's absolutely looking like a team that can beat Ohio State, but with him out, I don't know. Um, and I think that's that's probably the the biggest thing Ohio State need, I mean Ohio State needs.
0: Uh so speaking of Ohio State, they uh, beat the barn doors off of Maryland, sixty six to seventeen. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, they're scuzz. They're I mean, good. scuzz has been on really it. good.
1: Scuzz has been on it for a couple of weeks. That this team has absolutely found its groove. And you know, and it's sad because they're catching Indiana next week. But I mean, like they're, I mean their their offense is absolutely taking everyone apart. And that's the well, thing. I mean, you want to see them play at Penn State, but but they're they're just unstoppable right now.
2: So I mean Trayvon Anderson uh, or Trayvon Henderson, right? The the super freshman that we talked about at the beginning of the year is um, their starter at running back now. He's been really good. We all know all about Olave and Wilson, uh, who have been, you know, continue to be to be incredible. And then uh, C.J. Stroud has gotten better, and he's he's figured it out. I, I think the other thing worth calling out in this game, you know, we thought Talia might have the opportunity to throw it around a bit. Um, obviously, Maryland just got too, too one-dimensional, but they were also missing both of their starting cornerbacks going into this game, and that's just not a recipe for being able to do anything against Ohio State. Like, like you have to have your full armada – on the back end, even if it's not that great, um, to uh, to try to blunt their um, their receivers in some way way shape or form. But they've they've hit they you know it's midseason. They've quite literally hit midseason stride, and um, they're looking. I would say probably like the most complete team in the East right now. I mean, Michigan hasn't. I, that was a good win that they got, but like they haven't really shown what they can do yet? I don't know. We'll see. I, I, we're, we're about to talk about it. It feels to me like Michigan is fine. They're, yeah. they're,
0: they're I mean, winning their games. They're not, they're not like, I mean, it. yeah, they're, if, they're undefeated. I'm not like overly impressed by them. I mean, they have it, no confidence it, in their quarterback.
1: It felt <laughs> no. like Michigan and Nebraska were evenly matched teams in that game. And one of those teams is six and zero and ranked ninth in the country. And one of them's three and four. I mean, it's just, and it's the same kind of problems where it's, it's, you know, Credit. I mean, again, it's like, is Nebraska nearly as good as the performance they put out against us? No, they're not. We're just an absolute mess on defense, and they tore us apart. But they are way improved, and their problem is that they are trick or treat, and they ride Martinez, and they're capable of making a bunch of errors. Michigan's got the like the same problem. Michigan's, you know they turned in a stinker against Rutgers and then came out and obliterated Wisconsin and then took a lead against Nebraska and then almost pissed the entire thing away and took a loss to Nebraska. And they're, I mean, that's their thing. Like they're still trying to find it. Now, again, it's like, are they positioned really well against us? Sure they are, but they are also like, they are exactly the kind of team that, when they play us, will be looking ahead to the road game against Michigan State the week after that. And I mean, it's just like they're – that doesn't change the fact that they look like a way better team than us right now, but they showed against Rutgers the extent to which they're capable of playing down to competition, and they did not look great in this game either.
2: I mean, they're just they're, – they're so good running the ball. Uh, Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum have been awesome. They haven't even needed to dip into the Donovan uh, Donovan Edwards um part of the playbook uh their their own you know super freshman recruit but um i like i have no confidence in k mcnamara their 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 targets at whiteout are fine and unproven and every now and again they do something good but but mcnamara's numbers are like he's not very efficient he's not good at attacking downfield and and when they run to teams that can truly stop the run that's you know part of what they struggled with with nebraska as nebraska was starting to make their comeback and they you know they need to get better if they have a, if if they hope to stand up against a a Penn State or an Ohio State or a Michigan State for that matter. Yeah. Um so
0: yeah, Michigan Michigan beats Nebraska 32-29. Uh Michigan State beat Rutgers 31-13 just workmanlike Kenneth Walker. Oh my god. 29 carries, 232 yards, a touchdown including a 94-yarder. I mean, dude gets clear, he's gone. I mean, we saw that firsthand uh week 1. I think he's
2: got the longest uh, streak of of carries with no fumble now, too, going back to 2019,
1: 300-some carries. I mean, it's one of those things, too, where it's like it doesn't make us feel any better about it because it was super gross. But Northwestern's been torn apart in three games by uh, a group of players who are really fast and really capable of giving up a lot of big plays. And that's not— again. I'm not minimizing Nebraska. Multiple players who had not had big games prior to that game tore us apart. But I'm talking about Martinez Walker and Mateo Durant, right? Those guys all gashed us, but they've all gashed everyone else this season too. Um and again, it's like just to reinforce, Rutgers does not have that guy. Like it's just not they just don't have a player like that. And, you know, you saw in Michigan State game how clear it was that Michigan State had one of those guys and Rutgers did not.
0: And then finally, Wisconsin shuts out Illinois twenty four nothing. Lord
1: Almighty, this box score.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: So, so, so I mean, basically, Wisconsin just ran over all, all over the Illini, and this is what they've done to the weaker opponents on their schedule. And this is like, this is the Wisconsin formula we've talked about all year. Like they run the ball very much, but if you can stop the run, because they're not like incredible at it, um, you can you can cause problems. Because Mertz is a, is a train wreck. However, on the other side of the ball. 391
0: yards on the
2: ground for Wisconsin against Illinois. And and Illinois is cut from the same cloth. Because on the other side of the ball, like, for, I believe, the fourth game in a row, like, just inconceivably to us, Brandon Peters started yet again. uh, Three for seven for 12 yards, (laughs) an average of 1.7 yards per attempt.
0: He right. was came in, went eight for twenty-seven for fifty-five yards, two yards per attempt. Y-
2: yeah, not good, not good, Bob. Like Sikowski came in on what I think the fifth series and um, was was just as bad. I mean, like what, like Illinois averaged two yards on the ground, and th- I mean this was an absolute dominant game by Wisconsin and Wisco- and and Iowa just, or Illinois just did not have any of the weapons that teams have used to like get over the top of Wisconsin or um, keep them honest with defense, et cetera. And uh, yeah, catastrophe for, for the Illini. But like, lest anyone believes Wisconsin is back. Like this is not the barometer you were looking for.
1: Right. Although I will say, right. We talked about going into the season that we're like, Wisconsin's got eight teams on the schedule. They should be able to pound on the ground. Yeah, true. Um, and the only big difference this season is that Michigan just totally stoned them. And Michigan was one of those teams that was horrible on run defense last year, and they've improved. And But the, the other bottom line is that almost all of those teams are still on the Badgers schedule. They still play Army, Purdue, Rutgers, us, Nebraska, Minnesota, right? So, like, they could be horrendous passing the ball and still win all six of those games and get to eight and four so it's I like, don't
2: I don't think they can beat Nebraska I, in, in, not, like, not like right like now just running the ball
1: I don't again I'm like I don't it, it, it's too too soon after our game scuzz. too soon after our game <laughs> <laughs>
0: um real quick I mean some awesome awesome games nationally uh Texas Am upsetting Alabama. Um, Just an amazing game That that was a lot of fun to watch I have sure. still not gotten over the 2011 Houston Bowl No, for sure, me neither I, I still hate Texas A&M quite a bit But it, it, it's fun to
1: see Alabama lose
2: Not to Texas A&M, it's not <laughs> but, uh...
1: it, was, it was a wild environment though It was such a raucous environment That I was able to sell my daughter On the concept of football For about three minutes Being like, wow. look at how fun that looks <laughs> Almost she just enough to make me feel like I was making headway before she was like, all right, enough of this. I'm out of here. But, but yeah, it was a, it was a, a fantastic game and just a, a total shootout. And, and yeah, I think, you know, we were surprised that Alabama, I think, dropped what two spots in the polls um, and Iowa and right. Oklahoma jumped them too. I want to say. And Cincy. Oh, and Cincy. Cincy. Yeah, right. Yeah. So three, so they dropped three spots, which is wild. Cause again, it's like, you still feel like they they still are Alabama, but yeah, it was just. I mean, it was just one of those games where yeah, for one night, A and M was playing out of their minds. It was a great game, great atmosphere, and yeah, it was fantastic. John, bring your
2: daughter to Cincinnati. We'll go see <laughs> the, the the Bearcats, and the Cincinnati Bearcat will get her into football. He spent he spent the entire third quarter. Uh, so I went to the game on Friday night. He spent the entire third quarter walking around the student outside the student section, um, with a walker and in a suit with a white wig on his head head and then his handler um was carrying like a cardboard house with helium balloons tied to it because he was the guy from up. I think oh. if anyone can get your daughter into into college football, it is the Cincinnati Bearcat.
1: Yeah. I mean, possibly, unless Willie Willie steps his game up a little bit. But uh but yeah, so it was either way though, I mean it was that was an, an awesome game and for any of you you know deep in the weeds zach calzada was someone northwestern recruited fairly you know fairly heavily um and i believe he was part of the class that um it may have even been not the same class as Halinsky. i'd have to go check but i believe um when kale millen decommitted um Calzada was one of the the people that that you know we sent an APB out to. Obviously, again, you know he ultimately chose A and M, and that worked out really well for him. But that was a name that I think a lot of Northwestern recruit nicks were familiar with. So, so to see him playing a huge game on the biggest possible stage was interesting. A couple other really fun games. I mean, Oklahoma, Texas. That I feel was like our, that was our wild. defense would have fit just fine in that Oklahoma, Texas. Game. <laughs> Uh, wild game, um,
0: ludicrous. Just, you know, Tex- I mean. Texas went up so big so early. Uh, Oklahoma, you know, sits down. Spencer Rattler, you know, preseason Heisman favorite. Casey Thompson comes in twenty thirty four, three eighty eight, five touchdowns, brings uh, Oklahoma all the way back. Um, just a really really fun game. Uh, Ole Miss Arkansas also, I mean, defense optional in that game completely. Uh, I think the only defensive play I saw the entire game was uh, Old Miss's two point conversion defense with zero time left that Arkansas was trying to win the game with. That was the only defense I saw that entire game.
1: Yeah, it was. I mean, it was totally ludicrous football, not exactly Big Ten football, but it was. But it, I mean, it was really fun to watch, and especially with all of us looking for sorely looking for diversions, it was. It was good. It was fun times.
0: Um.
2: Any anything else jumped out at you last weekend? Uh, Notre Dame has created their own quarterback controversy. Playing sure. Tyler Bueller, is it Bueller? Bueller,
0: um, Bueller, 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 yeah, Bueller. something like that. <laughs> Over.
2: Uh, <laughs> I mean, Jack Cohn struggled early on against Virginia Tech. Bueller comes in or, or uh, and and ties the game up at half, um, and then. Promptly throws a pick six in the third quarter cone comes back in and wins the game. So, I mean, they've got, they've got, you know, difficulties to figure out. Um, and then the other game that, that jumped off, jumped out to me, um, the game I went to Cincinnati just absolutely dominated and annihilated temple. It was, um, it was, Th- the biggest beatdown that I've witnessed in person for the team I was cheering for <laughs> to,
1: um, to, to be fair. Rutgers also to be fair. The temple.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, they did. Yes, they did. Um, but, uh, but man, since Cincinnati's an electric team, guys, it's, it's going to be fun, uh, to see where they land late in the year. And I think, um, the, the nation's going to get inter- introduced to them one way or another. I, I don't know if it's going to go well or not, but, um, they're a lot of fun.
1: We were one of the things we were joking about this weekend, relative to who's up and, and who's down, was that you could. One joke we were making is that the highest ranked ACC team right now is Notre Dame, and the second highest ranked ACC team right now is Coastal Carolina. <laughs> it's not. It's not exactly high times for the ACC, unless you're a Wake Forest fan. In Wake which, Forest, yes, yeah. yes. How about but, them? But uh, but aside from that, not exactly a banner year for the ACC. All right, so
0: elsewhere around the conference this weekend, um, 11 o'clock a.m. Central Time on FS1, Michigan State at Indiana. I'm surprised Michigan State's only a a four-and-a-half-point favorite here. Yeah. That that seems really low to me, especially with uh, Pennix out. Yeah, that
2: does seem really low, but I I don't know. Maybe – I mean – this game has been super tight the last two years and maybe they're just banking on something like that.
1: Yeah. I, again, it's like, we're, it's been hard versus head for so much of the season for us looking at Indiana, partly because they're kind of our doppelganger, but man, it feels like, uh, it feels like they're going to get smoked in this one. I want to believe that, that they can, they can write the ship, but I don't see how that happens. Uh, Nebraska at Minnesota. Um,
0: also 11 o'clock on ESPN two. Nebraska only a three and a half point favorite on the road. That seems a little low to me. Yeah, especially I mean,
2: because Trey Potts, who has been like the thing in my opinion keeping Minnesota afloat um, since Mo Ibrahim Ibrahim uh, went down with injury, is also now out for the year. Um, some sort of undisclosed industry uh, uh, undisclosed injury. Like stayed in Indiana after the Purdue game in the hospital for for a period of time. Several days. I mean, yeah. So like Minnesota is. Um, they're, they're hurting from a personnel standpoint. And, um, God, this just seems like a rough matchup for them.
1: Yeah. And I'm torn between a, you hate rooting for, you know, well, we don't root for Nebraska really in any circumstances, but it's like, it feels like Nebraska might put a a real hurting on them in this game and that you, it just sucks so much for Minnesota that they're dealing with these injury problems. Real talk, real talks. We're looking for wins, and right now they look like a team that could give us one. So,
2: Dylan Wright is their is their leading receiver. He hasn't played since September eighteenth. Wow, that's, that's
1: crazy. I mean, so, oh my goodness. I mean, and we've seen. I mean, this, they're they're you know the basement for Minnesota is very very low in, in losing know. to Bowling Green, right? Exactly. So you've seen where they can go. So yeah, I, again, it's like you know they're. Yeah, if if it does end up happening, that Minnesota is on the the wrong end of, of a bad one here. Like, just real talk. That's good for Northwestern because we we got we want we want to get a win out of that one.
0: A two thirty Central on ABC Purdue at Iowa. Iowa eleven and a half point favorite. Over under is forty four. They're expecting a low scoring game in that one with a big. That seems. I mean, I mean, really, I mean, here's the thing. Is like, it a
2: weather game that like, I, I don't 44. know. I mean, I
0: have it, that seems That seems really low. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, ha- I haven't seen the weather forecast yet. It's, it's Monday night. I haven't seen anything for Saturday yet.
1: I mean, I want to say, I want, I want to say that Purdue makes a great game here. Everything we've seen so far this season tells you that, Aiden O'Connell's going to throw for 350 yards and four interceptions in this game and Iowa's going to win like 56 to 20 or something yeah, like that.
2: Yeah, I mean it feels like a Maryland game but then I when I look at Iowa's scores like they're just they're just not eclipsing 40 points um in any of their games. I mean the last two, you know, Penn State went to 43 and Maryland went to to 65 but um yeah, they've been under 40 in pretty much every other game. So worth, I,
1: like, I mean, worth mentioning, too, and we've kind of talked about this a couple times, like Purdue's defense is much better this season. Yeah, much better. And, and it'll be curious to see how they match up against, you know, like if they don't turn it over, what does their D versus Iowa's O look like? That would be interesting.
0: I mean, if they don't turn turn it over. Yeah, right. have like, been like, saying right, that. Like, Iowa, exactly.
1: Iowa takes the ball away. Exactly. No, they do. And, uh, and then –
0: seven o'clock central on big 10 network army at wisconsin wisconsin a 13 point favorite in that one i expect that game to be over in like 45 minutes of real time because both
1: teams are just going to run the ball i was gonna say right the it's kind of interesting though i mean again i think that's the is ultimately i don't think army can stop wisconsin running the ball and ironically you know the one thing Army's great at doing, which is controlling the clock and doing everything like that, like Wisconsin, that, you know, they're awesome at stopping that. Like, those linebackers are going to be as good at doing that as any team that doesn't regularly practice against the triple option. So, I mean, with all due respect to Army, I think Wisconsin's got that one handily. Um, Elsewhere around the
0: country, it, there's not a ton of really juicy games. The Oklahoma State-Texas, maybe, maybe. Um, That's the big noon game on Fox,
2: Florida, UCF. Yeah, Cincinnati, UCF, sure. I mean, that's always a big game from the American perspective. UCF is not at the top of their game, but still.
1: Right, and Natty's looking for style points every week now because they're... Oh, yeah, they are. Like, they're... (laughs) (laughs) I think I up... um,
2: I mean, they, they, they threw a couple long ones, uh, it, well, and in, well into the second half of that game, um, in a, in a huge blowout. I, like, I think their last two touchdowns of the four that they scored in the third quarter were, um, pretty egregious.
1: Right. Yeah. I think we were talking with the winning cured cures, everything boys, Georgia is a, what 22 and a half point favorite against 20, 23 and a half point 23 and a half point Kulop. favorite against an undefeated ele- football team yep. number 11
0: Kentucky
2: and it's game day
0: yeah it's game day i mean in, it's at you know in Athens 23 and a half points and the over under's 44 and a half Georgia doesn't give up points is the thing. Like and Georgia it, is so fucking I mean,
1: good. And none of us have any illusions about who the best team in the country is right now. Like Georgia's so thoroughly the best team. They just look ungodly good. Um, yeah. So, I mean, good luck, Kentucky. But yeah, just feels like Georgia's mowing everything down. Um, not not a whole lot else is really yeah. jumping
0: out at me as, That's as far it. as like a, a juicy juicy matchups. Um. I think one one game to completely avoid watching, at all costs, and it won't be too hard because it's on the uh, on the Pac twelve network. But Arizona Colorado, whew, that, that is two your, real bad football teams. You're Few problems scoring
1: points, Sammy. Few
0: <laughs> few, few problems and, and getting yet, on the scoreboard. And yet they almost beat
1: Texas A and M. Yeah, how amazing is that? That is that is absolutely crazy. Um, one thing we should talk about games. You know, we uh, we talked about the games this past Saturday. We ought to mention games on Sunday a little bit, right? Um, this was a – it was uh, – Northwestern didn't play this weekend, but kind of a little bit of a, a quasi-Northwestern game that was a little bit of a treat for us, right? We got Browns-Chargers. Um, yeah. And, uh, I mean
0: eight, – Eight or nine former Wildcats take, took part in that game in some fashion, you
2: know, be it uh, you know playing or coaching. I think there were only five on the field. Uh, the picture I saw after the game, you had Blake Hance, who's um, a starting guard for Cleveland, um, has a really great backstory on how he ended up there. If, if uh, you haven't heard that or checked that out, you should. Uh, obviously, Rashawn Slater, who continues to be the best rookie. Man, maybe Jamar Chase is giving him a run for his money at this point. I don't know. I don't know.
1: know. I think no one's happier with their draft pick than the Chargers are right now.
0: <laughs> the, 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 the story that, you know, that Rashawn's like telling the charger running backs, don't chip miles Garrett because it's messing me up. Right. Like he's dominating miles Garrett. You know, Eckler comes in and, and chips Garrett and you know, he gets a spin move around and, and yeah, gets out Herbert. The but inside, like, basically. Yeah. But like Slayer's like, don't do that. I got him.
1: Do you, In my mind. He's looking at Austin Eckler like he was a strength coach that just hit Rashad Slater really hard on the shoulders <laughs> while he was trying to do a, a box squat. That's that's how I'm envisioning oh. that. But
2: yeah, so you, so you had Hanson Slater, you had uh, Ifadi Denebo and um, uh, Joe Gaziano. and then Anthony Walker came back. Uh, if you, if you're not if you haven't been following this, Anthony Walker is the starting line middle linebacker for the the Browns. He calls all their defensive plays. At the end of every you know play, you'll see him listening to to his helmet mic for the, for the call. Um, uh, Greg Newsom did not play in this game. He's been dealing with a calf in- in- injury, and then I think Justin Jackson's on the on the IR list. He was not in uh, in uniform, but he was at the game, and then uh, a, a guy in the front office or, or on the coaching staff for San Diego, Cody Sita, uh, former. I don't know like I, he what, what was he like director of football chief of ops? staff yeah i mean chief basically of staff for number 2 yeah yeah so um so that's been uh that, that that was really cool to see um and then on top of it it was just like a bonkers awesome game i think what did it 47 42 was the final 47 41 something like that uh just a ton of fun
1: and just again on top of that just because it's been a thing week after week it's like Rashawn Slater is clearly one of the best left tackles in all the NFL, very quickly, very rapidly. And this is something that's known by everyone. And it is, you know, it's been the salve. We're pouring on our wounds for weeks now is he just comes out and looks awesome every single week. And everyone's like, yeah, this guy's, and it's like, and then the charges are like, yeah, we have our cornerstone young quarterback and our cornerstone left tackle to protect him. And it's just like, so it's like, that's not going anywhere. Like all of a sudden, He's a rookie and he's one of the best tackles in football. It's just, it's incredible. So we have that to as, enjoy. As
0: a Bronco fan,
1: that bums me out that <laughs> he's in my division.
0: Sorry, Sorry Sam. It really bums me out because God, I, I wanted to cheer for him so much, but you know,
2: maybe y'all can get man bear Pete in a couple of years. years. Uh, hopefully that'd be great.
0: Um. Also just, you know, that we're not forgetting basketball is on the horizon um you know practices have started for both the men and women uh definitely excited for for the women's game Joe McEwen got in a nice little contract extension uh so he'll be roaming the sidelines at Welsh Ryan Arena for uh for the women's team Probably. we'll get into the men at some point um now is not the time to do that uh yeah I who just, knows we who don't knows? have the en- I mean, we don't
1: have the energy right now we'll get there yeah
2: um, but here's, but I, but I do have the energy to, to say it's the year of Burton. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Uh, pretty absolutely. freaking excited to see, um, to see what Veronica Burton can do as, as the leader and focal point of this team. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be awesome. It's gonna be a lot of fun to watch.
0: Uh, so anything else to mention, um, again, come by and find us, uh, before the game, uh, for homecoming, east parking lot, north end of the east parking lot, right next to Wildcat Alley. Um, love to see as many of you as we can. Um, am I forgetting
1: anything, guys? No, just that. And just this is a super winnable game. Let's friggin' win it. Let's just get back on the right track here. This is a team that we definitely can beat. Let's play clean football um, and enjoy our talent advantage and, and you know, the defense shows up and does just enough and and let's just let's just win this game and move forward. Amen.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Head to our website, WestlawPirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pirates, and email the show Westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us on the west side of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scouse, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.